welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 89. My name's Tom Kershaw and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well, this week I've been playing Forza Horizon 5, the big new release from Playground Games and Microsoft Game Studios. I've also been checking out the Lost Ark Closed Beta, a new MMO ARPG coming from Korea. And I've also been playing Age of Empires 4, plus a load of games on Nintendo Switch Online and an indie gem called Unpacking which is a very cathartic game about getting stuff out of boxes. As always, it's a busy show, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Now, I'm good this week, and we are approaching the first birthday of the current generation of consoles with the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. I was really lucky and managed to get my hands on both consoles and after spending a bunch of time with each of them they are pretty much neck and neck for me you know both have pros and cons and different features although I do have to say this week in particular Xbox Game Pass really does it for me given on this episode I'm looking at both Forza Horizon 5 and Age of Empires 4. Well another breaking news this weekend it looks like a real possibility that Halo Infinite multiplayer could be released tomorrow. So it's Microsoft's 20th anniversary of the Xbox launch, plus that means Halo's 20th birthday too, and what better way to celebrate than release the multiplayer component early. Now it's currently due on the 8th of December 2021, but as we've seen from the technical flight tests, you know, it's pretty much ready. Now a bunch of evidence has been gathered online, and Halo fans are eagerly anticipating Microsoft's press conference tomorrow on November the 15th. Now I'm not really 100% sold on the idea of this early release just yet, as the evidence ranges from rumour to a little bit interest. But one thing that is adding fuel to the fire is the silence from Microsoft and 343 Studios. They are yet to deny the rumours, and that does hold the door open for fans to get excited. Well, that's in the immediate future, and I thought there may be some Halo fans listening, so make sure you keep your eyes and ears peeled tomorrow for that Halo news. Well, these past few weeks have been playing a whole bunch of games, so let's check those out. Well, before we get into what I've been playing, I've got another podcast review to read out. And if you want to be featured at the start of the show in the review section, then write a review via Apple Podcasts or check out the link in the description of the podcast and you can leave a review and I'll read out in the coming weeks. Well, this one is from Bob FGTD and Bob says, Thumbs up, great podcast for gaming news and gives it five stars. So thanks, Bob. I hope you're doing well and thank you very much for the review. Well, next up, I wanted to talk about the podcast Patreon, so you can send your questions and stories for community questions by signing up to Patreon, and for as little as $2 a month, you can get access to exclusive Discord rooms, send in your questions and comments to be read out on the This Week in Video Games podcast, and also access exclusive content and get early access too. There's plenty of benefits over there on Patreon, plus you get to support the show and help This Week in Video Games become a little bit more self-sufficient. Well, that is it for my waffly intro today, but let's get into what I've been playing this week. So over the past week, I've been playing Forza Horizon 5, a really, really fantastic racing game from Playground Games and Microsoft Game Studios. And they've really built on loads of the great stuff that they did in Forza Horizon 4. And I'll be bringing you my thoughts and review of that first up in the show. Well, I've also been playing the Lost Ark Closed Beta. This is an MMO ARPG coming out of Korea, and it's finally coming to the West via Amazon Game Studios. So this one, really, really good fun. So in this game, you've got five classes, and the game's viewpoint is really, really similar to Diablo. The gameplay loop is really, really fun. The combat is super, super entertaining. And I'll bring you my thoughts of the closed beta later on. 
I've also been checking out Nintendo Switch Online's expansion pack, and I'm going to be doing a rundown of my top 10 favourite games from that pack, and that includes some of the greatest games ever made. We've got Super Mario 64, Streets of Rage 2, Sonic 2, and also The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. So that game has to be up there in my top 5 games of all time. Also, over the last few weeks I've been playing an indie gem, and this one is Unpacking. This is all about taking stuff out of boxes and putting it into various rooms, and it tells a really nice story throughout the main protagonist's life. So it's really, really good, really, really relaxing and cathartic, and it's also available on Xbox Game Pass, so I definitely recommend you checking that one out. And I'll bring you my review of that later up in the show. Well, finally today, I've been playing Age of Empires 4 on the PC, again via Xbox Game Pass, and if you like Age of Empires, you're really, really going to love Age of Empires 4. This is an RTS game and really builds on some of the great stuff from Age of Empires 2. And given it's on Xbox Game Pass, if you've got that service, I definitely recommend diving in and checking it out. Well, that's what I've been playing over the last few weeks, but let's dive straight in to my review of Forza Horizon 5. So Forza Horizon 5 has arrived, and of course, it's arrived in grand style. This is one of the best-looking, easy-to-pick-up-and-play racing games I've ever laid my hands on. And it is an iteration on what made Forza Horizon 4 good, but everything you want is here. You know, you've got great tunes, beautiful cars, and awesome scenery. Well, much like the previous iteration of the game, the open-world driving formula is back, but this time the action has moved from the quaint countryside roads and hills of my home country that's England, if you didn't tell from the accent. And we're going farther afield and somewhat a little bit more exotic in Mexico. So I'm a big fan of England, of course, being English. But it's nice to go to another environment that's got the diversity that Mexico has. You know, you've got the towns, you've got the beaches, deserts, mountains, and also sandstorms too. So the Forza Horizon series blew many fans away with Forza Horizon 4. I think 5 is only going to cement Playground Games' place at the top of the charts for creating a great racing experience. The introduction of the open world and the regular updates, plus the Forza Festival and a great campaign, you know, all of these elements are back in Forza Horizon 5, and you can really feel the confidence of the developer almost oozing out of the screen when you play this game. You know, the music, the graphics, the quality of the racing, it all screams confidence and accomplishment. Well, if you're new to the Forza Horizon series, then you've got plenty of game modes to get your teeth into. Forza Horizon's got so much content, and you know, maybe a little bit too much content, but a good place to start is the Festival Playlist. So here's the place where you create a character, you're going to collect your cars, explore the map, take on different races and challenges, plus the great co-op trial. So you've got seasonal championships and weekly challenges too, and they keep you coming back time after time. And each week, a different car is in focus, Plus, you've got the more casual challenges and other online features as well. If the campaign isn't your thing and you want to dive into online multiplayer, then Forza Horizon 5 has you covered with a wealth of multiplayer mode. So in the game, the online multiplayer hub is called the Horizon Open, and you've got different sections divided into racing, drifting, playground games, and the Eliminator. So racing is great fun, although the team has dropped the competitive rank mode from 4, which will no doubt upset some people, you know. That is the tricky balance with online multiplayer games. You want to make it welcoming for new players while keeping your hardcore fans happy, and it's not an easy balance to have. Well, co-op mode is great fun, and much of the campaign can be played through with friends. You know, the Horizon Tour is a nice new addition, and this is co-op racing which is similar to Trial, but a little bit less intense. 
but the AI seems to have been dialed back just a little bit. Well, for newcomers to the franchise, the game can feel a little bit overwhelming with its menus upon menus, plus a map that's full to the brim with markers and stuff to do. But the best thing to do is get stuck in there and give things a go. And soon, that confusion will be replaced with the comfort of the understanding of the systems and the UI. And then you'll be able to ease into any big race or just enjoy the view as you go for a cross-country drive across Mexico. We've got a nice photo mode in the game where you can take photographs of the cars, all of which look incredible. And I've been playing this on my Xbox Series X and the game runs brilliantly smooth and there's not really much loading time to speak of at all. Although there are sneaky long animations when cars get ready for a race, which is the racing equivalent of a single player story, you know, go through this gap moment and that helps you a little bit with the loading time. So whether you're playing a 4K 30 frames per second or 60 frames per second in the game really, really looks amazing. Well, the game is going to satisfy the collector in you too, with Forza Horizon 5 providing you with a steady trickle of new cars to play with. So whereas 4 felt a little bit stingy with dishing out the cars, 5 rectifies that almost immediately, and soon you've got a plethora of cars at your disposable and options to drive. So you can get these from events, and you can get them by playing these slot machines in the game. There's also a car collection menu, which is a nice way to visualise your collection, and it shows you your objectives and collectibles as well. It could easily be very messy, but the team at Playground Games has done a really, really good job here. Yeah, Mexico always makes for a great setting. The map is large with varied biomes, so the weather can change throughout the season, as in previous iterations of Forza Horizon, making for hazardous driving conditions. You've got some really bombastic stuff going on here as your car gets dropped into a volcano, followed by massive ramp jumps. You know, it's all pretty spectacular stuff. So all the while, the music does a great job of keeping up the pace and the excitement too, and combined with the fast-paced racing action. And you combine that all with fast-paced racing action. As well as the beautiful scenery, the game does a reasonable job of telling a story through its Mexican characters. Sometimes it does feel like one massive ad for the country of Mexico, but when it looks and sounds this good, I think I'm sold. So given it's Mexico, then the weather isn't as quite as wild and changeable as it is here in the UK. Thankfully, the sun out is much more often, making the driving conditions much better. Well, there's a vast improvement in 5 over 4 when it comes to the story elements and how fleshed out our main character feels. This includes a nice story about Vocho, the Mexican VW Beetle, plus you've also got other expeditions too, which are the Festival Outposts and offer a nice little sidetrack of exploration and demonstrating just how vast Forza Horizon 5 is. So expeditions are a nice new progression tool that helps the campaign along. All activities are rewarded with accolades, which are essentially your achievements in the game. So earn accolade points and you get rewarded with expeditions and also stories, showcases or signature races. It does sound a little bit convoluted, but the rewards are pretty special. Forza Horizon 5 gives you plenty of ways to unlock new content through racing, exploring, taking photos, taking part in drift zones, plus you've got a whole lot more too. Now the sense of progression here in Forza Horizon 5 has been implemented really well, with players progressing in pretty much any activity that they take part in. Well, Forza Horizon 5 is one of the most accomplished and entertaining driving games I've ever played. So this is the open world racing game that you could quite easily sink hundreds of hours into. You could easily play this game until the end of the year and still not be bored with it. So the graphics and the performance are fantastic and the pumping music combined with the pace of the racing keeps your heart beating throughout the play sessions. It's not the massive leap forward that Forza Horizon 4 was, but it's probably the best racing game out there in the market at the moment. Plus, it's on Xbox Game Pass, so there's literally no excuses not to play.
Well, the game was developed by Playground Games. It was published by Microsoft Game Studios. It's available for the Xbox and PC, and it was originally released on the 5th of November, 2021. Well, that is it for my review of Forza Horizon 5, but next up, let's dive into the Lost Ark closed beta. Well, Lost Ark held their closed beta from the 4th until the 11th of August, and it's been a whole load of fun, and really, I've had a hard time playing anything else. This is an action MMO popular in Korea, and it's in beta in Russia and Japan, and soon it's coming to North America and Europe. So if the closed beta is anything to go by, so this one could be a massive hit when released in March 2022. Well, today I'm going to run through my first impressions of Lost Ark after roughly 10 hours of gameplay, talk about the gameplay, the stories, the classes, the dungeons, the combat, and also plenty more too. Well, first up, let's start off with what is Lost Ark. So this is a massively multiplayer online action role-playing game, and it's been available in Korea since 2018. Plus, it's in beta in Russia and Japan since 2020. It's coming to Western audiences in March 2022. And good news, it's going to be free to play. Well, the gameplay is from a perspective similar to Diablo. So you've got classes, loot exploration and combat. So you can customise your skills, your weapons and gear to spec into different playstyles. So the action and the gameplay loops are really satisfying, whether you're fighting masses of enemies or facing off against bosses. So you've got PvE battles, raids and PvP combat too, and it's a whole lot of fun. Plus, it swept the Korean Game Awards in 2019, and that really made me sit up and take notice. Well, next up, let's have a look at the story. So in terms of the story, the world has been invaded by a demon army and the big bad has opened the Chaos Gate with the six legions to invade the human world. So the world has long since forgotten the threat of demons and humans have forgotten about using the Ark to defeat the demons in the past. But now it's up to you to explore the huge world of Lost Ark, gather pieces of the Ark and stand up to that demon army. Well, in terms of scale, there's seven varied continents with seas between them, you know, full of different cultures, strange beasts, and secrets to discover. So the collective name for the land is Arkesia, and it's your job to explore, take down enemies and huge bosses in the open world, plus collect that all-important loot. Well, next up, let's have a look at which classes are in the game. So you've got five main classes to choose from. Then at level 10, you get to select your specialization class or your subclass. But in the NA and the EU closed beta, that happened immediately as you started at level 10. Well, let's have a look at all the classes now. So first of all, we've got the Warrior. And that breaks down into subclasses of Berserker, Paladin and Gunlancer. So the Warrior is your classic DPS class. And Berserker deals big damage with a greatsword. And Paladin's a heavy support. And the Gunlancer takes a leaf out of the Monster Hunter playbook. Plus, they're very tanky as well. So if you'd like to take on the role of a DPS and play a slightly bigger, heavier class, then the Warrior could be your class. Then you've got the Martial Artist, that breaks down into Striker, War Dancer, Scrapper and Soul Fist. So Martial Artists are all about melee action, getting in there up close and personal with enemies. So if you like to punch and kick and juggle opponents, then the Martial Artist could be the one for you. Next up we've got the Gunner, and that breaks down into four subclasses this time. So we've got the Gunslinger, the Artillerist, Deadeye, Sharpshooter, and Gunners dish out the damage from range with their guns and their technology. So if you like to attack from range with some awesome weapons, then I would check out the Gunner. Next we've got the Mage, and this splits down into two. So we've got the Bard, then we've got the Summoner. So if you like to play the support role in other MMOs and looking to support in Lost Ark, then the Bard could be for you. And they use musical attacks to help support their team. But if you want to dish out big damage, magic-orientated attacks, then I would go for the Summoner. 
Finally, we've got the Assassin, and that breaks down to Shadow Hunter and Deathblade. So, Assassins are your classic rogue or hunter class. So, quick, nimble, operating in the shadows, and the subclass are split into two with a Deathblade and the Shadow Hunter. So, Assassins are all about speed and big damage as well. So, if this is what you're looking for, then I would try out the Assassin. Well, next up, let's have a look at the combat. So the combat is an ARPG style, and you'll be able to level up your weapons and armor through quests and raids, and battling world bosses and also PvP opponents as well. Well, I'll start promises easy-to-learn combat features that lean into their tripod system, where you can unlock three tiers of customization for your abilities, so letting you control how you want to fight. Well, Lost Ark combines plenty of features that make MMOs popular. You've got a huge world to explore. There's rich and detailed lore, plus the character customization is really deep and varied. Well, next up, let's touch on dungeons quickly. So on each continent, there's a series of dungeons, which in the early game are some of the most fun content in Lost Ark while you make your way through to the end game. So you can solo any dungeon, or you can take advantage of the matchmaking and go in with a team. So you've got a normal and hard mode, and on hard mode, you get slightly better rewards. So you can't use your mount inside the dungeon, but you can run past groups of enemies. You know, sometimes you are going to hit a brick wall that doesn't get removed until you beat those enemies, so bear this in mind if you want to be speeding through that dungeon content. You know, dungeons have a series of mob enemies, and you're going to face off against a big enemy at the end. Kill them, and you get that dungeon loot. And after you kill the boss, make sure you equip your new loot to level up your character. You've also got secret dungeons as well, and they can be found by getting secret scrolls of NPCs in the game. Well, finally, let's have a look at some other Lost Ark information. So one of the promising facts about Lost Ark is the fact that it won six awards at the Korean version of the gaming Oscars in 2019. So this means the game is out there, people are playing it, and they're absolutely loving it. And from the visuals alone, you can see this one has potential, but it won everything from character creation options, sound, technical achievement, and also, really importantly, the People's Choice Award. So it's been out since 2018 in Korea, meaning the developers had time to hone the game based on player feedback. You know, hopefully this means it isn't going to be a hot mess when it releases, much like other major releases we've seen in the past few years. You know, Amazon, they're going to be the publisher of a Lost Ark in North America and Europe, and apparently there was major competition for the distribution deal. So Amazon has already launched their first MMO with New World this year, which had a great start, although recently seems to have lost a bit of traction with the game-breaking bugs. You know, Lost Ark could be the perfect follow-up to New World, especially if it's got a little bit more polish and quality. So the MMO features, combined with the satisfying gameplay look in Lost Ark, do have the potential to be a winner. Now look what Bungie has done with Destiny over the years, turning that into a machine that people log into every week for regular content drops. So here in Lost Ark we've got PvP, all players teaming up for PvE world boss battles, and when you're not in combat you can be customising your character, or getting stuck into the professions and refining your skills. Well, overall, I really, really enjoyed my time with Lost Ark. I definitely recommend checking out those videos over on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, type in This Week in Video Games, or find that link down there in the description or the show notes. Well, that is it for my first impressions of Lost Ark. Really, really good fun. Definitely recommend looking into it if you're slightly interested in what I've been saying. But next up today, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. We're number 10 this week, down 6 places from last week's number 4, it's Far Cry 6. And number 9 this week is a new entry, this is Fortnite's Minty Legends Pack. Number 8 this week, up 1 place from last week's number 7, it's Minecraft. And number 7, down 1 place from last week's number 6, it's Animal Crossing New Horizons. 
And number six this week, down four places from last week's number two, it's Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy. And at number five this week, up a whopping 12 places in the charts from last week's number 17, it's Marvel's Spider-Man, Mars Morales. And number four this week, up one place from last week's number five, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And number three this week, holding steady, it's Mario Party Superstars. At number two this week, down one place from last week's number one, it's FIFA 22. And new in at number one, it's Call of Duty Vanguard. So congrats to the team for that new entry at number one. Well, Call of Duty is a really interesting one this year. To be honest, it hasn't really piqued my interest at all. I heard the campaign is probably the worst thing about the story, but apparently the multiplayer is really good, and obviously you've got the Zombies mode too. Well, if you like Call of Duty, it's obviously selling well, so I would go out there and check it out. Well, that is it for the all-platform charts, but next up, let's dive into my review of Age of Empires 4. Age of Empires 4 is a modern-ish take on the classic real-time strategy format where you get to build towns, set people to work, and engage in battles. So the game can be played through a historical lens, or you can square off against other people in PvP. There's definitely a satisfying nostalgic element to Age of Empires, however, Age of Empires 4 does play things pretty safe and often feels like a spiritual successor to Age of Empires 2. So when you first boot up the game, you run through a fairly comprehensive tutorial where you build your first settlement, create some villages, and start gathering materials needed to sustain life there, like wood, food, and gold. So you'll soon create a small army and start venturing up the road where a rival faction lays in wait, and you're going to engage in different types of battle, including soldiers on horseback, archers, and also spearmen as well. So for those who've played Age of Empires before, this will be a nice reminder, but it is a great introduction, giving you all the tools you need to get started. Well, there's a whole range of activities that you can engage in with your villagers, including hunting, mining, and gathering wood. You know, soon you're going to be building houses for your villagers, building monuments to demonstrate your society's success, and also much more too. Yeah? So you're going to get into battles before you know it, and it's all about understanding the relationship between soldiers on horseback, archers and spearmen, and how they interact with each other. So basically, it's like rock, scissor, paper. So for example, soldiers on horses don't really like spearmen much, and archers don't like soldiers on horseback. As you progress through to the end game, you're going to be building defensive structures and working out how to control the map. But you better be careful of enemies who build cannons and other advanced weapons, as they're soon going to bring down your defensive walls and let in floods of raiding enemies. Well, there's a couple of different game modes that really let you flex your strategic brain, and that includes a historical campaign, and you can face off against English and French kings, retread steps from the historical battles, and take on different factions from all around the world. Well, the campaign is punctuated with documentary-style videos that really work well providing you with extra content and are presented in a BBC-style format. So shout out to Neil and the Compost team for providing those little videos. So they're really, really good stuff, as always, from that team. So if you don't want to delve into the main campaign, then there's randomised smaller one-off battles or skirmish maps. So these offer smaller tactical challenges with a variety of map setups, for example, you may have a strategically placed forest, or a ravine, or a river that's clearly going to get in your way. We've got eight playable factions in the game, including the Abbasid Dynasty, the Chinese, the Delphi Sultanate, England, France, the Holy Roman Empire, the Mongols, and also the Rus too. So they do feel somewhat similar, except for the Mongols who deliberately stand out on their own. Well, the Chinese have a useful feature where they collect taxes, so you build up money nice and quickly. And you've got the Abbasid dynasty, who become leaders in tech pretty quickly, due to the Baghdad House of Wisdom. 
You know, one thing that does stand out is that Age of Empires 4 feels like a sequel to Age of Empires 2, in that it doesn't really innovate too much. You know, in fact, some would say they play it really, really safe. You know, it could almost be a next-gen upgrade of Age of Empires 2, so it's fairly easy to compare given that Age of Empires 2 and 3 are also available on Xbox Game Pass, and that isn't to say that Age 4 isn't entertaining, it is, but there's no major innovation here, and they play it really, really safe, except for maybe one feature. And that one thing is the Mongol Empire, so they're very mobile, you can burn down villages and they stand out from all the other factions. They don't have defensive systems themselves, like for example the Romans or the English, but the Mongols, you know, they're a really good demonstration of what Relic can do to try and freshen things up just a little bit. So if you're feeling worn down by the classic factions, I'd recommend giving the Mongols a try, as they're likely going to put Age of Empires 4 in a whole new light. Well, Age of Empires 4 taps into that nostalgic feeling really well, and for gamers of a certain age, it scratches a very satisfying itch. So the game is packed with over 40 missions to test your skills, and opens up with a classic France versus England battle, including the Battle of Hastings and other famous standoffs. So things do liven up a bit when they're introduced to the Mongols and the Russians, as the tactical battles get tougher and the objectives get much more interesting. Well, the graphics and the sound design work really well, complementing the solid gameplay. So the game looks fantastic, and the landscapes are absolutely gorgeous, and the audio is great too. And I particularly like the murmuring that comes from the villagers and the townsfolk as they speak their own little language. Well, Age of Empires 4 is an entertaining RTS, although often it plays it very safe and can be easily compared to Age of Empires 2. You know, when the developer flexes their muscles a little with new features like the Mongols, the game really shines. The campaigns are well thought out, the multiplayer is instant fun, and I particularly like the presentation style, in particular the history style videos, and that really ties the experience together well. So if you've played Age of Empires before, then you may not find too many surprises in here, but you'll probably like what you see. So sometimes it feels like a greatest hits compilation of the series, rather than pushing the boundaries of something new. Well, the game was developed by Relic, it was published by Microsoft Game Studios, so it's available on PC, also via Xbox Game Pass, and was originally released on the 28th of October, 2021. Well, that is it for my review of Age of Empires 4. Really, really good fun. Definitely recommend picking it up, especially if you've got Xbox Game Pass. Well, today really has been a good showcase of what's on Xbox Game Pass, but next up, I'm going to dive into Nintendo Switch Online with their new expansion pack. Well, Nintendo unveiled their much-anticipated Nintendo Switch Online upgrade recently by adding N64 and Sega Mega Drive, or Sega Genesis, games to the offer. So, I am a bit of a sucker for retro games, and these games hold a particular place in my heart, as I was a teenager at the time of their release. So, they all bring back a bunch of great memories. Well, today, I'm going to run through the Nintendo Switch Online offering with a new expansion pack, plus present my top 10 games from that list. Well, before we get into ranking the games, let's check out which games are available. And we're going to start out on the N64. So we've got Super Mario 64, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, Mario Kart 64, Star Fox 64, also known as Lilac Wars, Yoshi's Story, Sin and Punishment, Dr. Mario 64, Mario Tennis, and Operation Winback. We also know of a few other games coming soon. So we've got The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, Banjo-Kazooie, Pokemon Snap, Mario Golf, Kirby 64, The Crystal Shards, and also Paper Mario 2. 
Then looking at the Mega Drive or the Sega Genesis, we've got Golden Axe, Strider, Musha, Shining Force, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, Streets of Rage 2, Shinobi 3, Echo the Dolphin, Gunstar Heroes, Fantasy Star 4, Castlevania Bloodline, Contra Hard Corps, and also Restar 2. You've also got the updated wireless controllers for N64 and Mega Drive, which sold out pretty quickly, although I was really, really lucky to snag one of those N64 controllers. Well, that is the list of games and peripherals, but next let's have a look at my top 10 games. Well, first of all, we got Star Fox 64. So Star Fox 64, known as Lilac Wars in the UK and Europe, well, that is a 3D rail shooter, and it's the second instalment of the Star Fox series and a reboot of the original Star Fox on the SNES. So this was one of the first games to feature the Rumble Pack, although fortunately we've got Rumble built into everything these days. And the original Star Fox was a little ambitious for the Super Nintendo, and also Star Fox 64 was the best-selling game in the Star Fox series. Well, next up we've got Golden Axe. So Golden Axe is a side-scrolling arcade beat-em-up, and that was originally released in 1989 by Sega. Well, the game places the player in control of one of three warriors, each bent on revenge against the vile dictator, the Death Adder. So Death Adder has taken over the once peaceful land of Uria and murdered their friend and their partner Alex. So this one brings back a lot of memories for me as I remember playing it in the arcade before consoles came out. I think I even played it on the Master System as well as the Mega Drive. So it was my first fantasy game. It really brought me into the action and crafted a rich and detailed world. And I also remember that Luke Goblin, he would appear on the screen. He'd have to smack in to drop the health potions and it really brings back some good memories. Well, next up, we've got Castlevania Bloodline. So this one was known in Japan as Vampire Killer and in Europe and Australia as Castlevania, the new generation. So it's a platform game developed and published by Konami in 1994. So the game is slightly different to the previous Castlevania series entries. It's set in a different area with new characters. So we've got a vampire named Elizabeth Bartley. She's orchestrating the beginning of World War I and sacrificing a war to bring her uncle Dracula back to life. So players take on the role of Quincy Morris's son, that's John, and his friend Eric Lacard, and you take up the fight against evil. So the development team approached Bloodlines as a unique Castlevania experience, tailor-made for the Genesis and the Mega Drive. So in this sense, the gameplay was made much faster and action-orientated, so writer Toshiki Yamamura also took creative liberties to craft what he viewed as a new chapter in the Castlevania saga. Well, Games Radar named Castlevania Bloodline as the 8th best Genesis game of all time out of a list of 25, and Game Informer's Tim Turi plays the level of gore relative to other Castlevania titles at the time, and he also called it one of the most overlooked treasures in the franchise. So basically, it's a really, really good Castlevania game, and if you like Castlevania, I would definitely recommend checking it out. Well, next up, we've got Shinobi 3 Return of the Ninja Master. So this one was released in Japan as the Super Shinobi 2. It's a hack and slash action game developed and published by Sega and was released in 1993. It's also the direct sequel to the previous Revenge of the Shinobi. So compared to its predecessor, the action is considerably smoother with less emphasis on difficulty and more on speed. So in addition to the ability to run from place to place, the player character comes equipped with a new array of moves and techniques, including a mid-air dash kick and the ability to jump scale walls and a powerful running slash that renders it temporarily invincible to projectiles. Shinobi 3 Return of the Ninja Master received critical acclaim, so Megatech Magazine praised the game's new attacks and moves, but criticised that it was not as hard as Revenge of the Shinobi. 
And Mega said that beyond the tricky bosses, it was far too easy. And then an IGN review by Levi Buchanan called it a legit Genesis great and one of the better games of the 16-bit console era. They did also re-release an iPhone version, and to be honest, that was pretty rubbish. Well, next up we've got Mario Tennis. So Mario Tennis is a game developed by Camelot Software Planning and was published by Nintendo. So the game was released in North America and Japan in the summer of 2000 and released in Europe later in November. It's the first tennis-based game starring Mario since Mario's Tennis, and it was the second game developed by Camelot on a Nintendo system. So the game is known for being the introduction of Luigi's arch-rival, Waluigi, and the reintroduction of Princess Daisy, and also Birdo 2. So the game uses a control system that differs from most other video game tennis games on the market, so shots are performed by pressing one or both of two of the main buttons, that's A or B. You can make the ball spin in different ways. So pressing A button twice strikes a tennis shot with more power and spin, and also pressing the two buttons in a different order can result in different types of shots altogether, such as a lob shot or a drop shot. So both buttons can be pressed at the same time to hit a very powerful smash shot. So Mario Tennis, really, really fun. So I definitely recommend checking that one out. Well, next up, we've got Streets of Rage 2. So known in Japan as Bare Knuckle 2. So it's a 1992 side-scrolling beat-em-up published by Sega, so a sequel to Streets of Rage from 1991. The characters Axel Stone and Blaze Fielding return while the game also introduces two new characters. So you've got Max Thunder Hatchet and Eddie Skate Hunter, the younger brother of Adam Hunter from the first game. Well, Streets Race 2 was developed by an ad hoc team comprised of several companies, the so Sega, Ancient, Shout Design Works, MNM Software, and also HIC's Ancient Anyo Koshiro was the lead graphic designer and one of the game's design planners, while her brother Yuzo Koshiro composed the music. And the game was programmed by the same team as the original. Well, Streets Race 2 for me was one of the best scrolling beat-em-ups of the era, I definitely remember spending many hours sitting on the living room floor in front of the TV playing Street to Rage 2. Well, next up we've got Contra Hard Corps. So this one was released as Contra, the Hard Corps in Japan, and Probotector in Europe and Australia, and is a run-and-gun game released by Konami for the Sega Genesis and Mega Drive in 1994. So it's the first game in the Contra series released for the Sega platform, and serves as the first entry in the Hard Corps sub-series. You're set five years after the events of Contra 3 The Alien Wars, a terrorist group led by the renegade Colonel Bam had stolen an alien cell, recovered from the war and now intends to use it to produce weapons. Instead of the traditional Contra heroes of Bill Rizzia and Lance Bean, a new task force is known as the Hard Corps with four members. They're sent to deal with the situation. And the game features a branching storyline with multiple possible endings. Well, this is your classic run-and-gun style game, and we really don't see much of these anymore, although Blazing Chrome was a nice little reminder of this style of game in 2019. Well, next up we've got Sonic the Hedgehog 2, so this is a Mega Drive classic, and my favourite Sonic game of all time. So Sonic the Hedgehog 2, it came out in 1992, and was developed and published by Sega. Now, it follows Sonic as he attempts to stop the evil Dr. Robotnik from stealing the Chaos Emeralds to power his space station, the Death Egg. You know, like the first Sonic Hedgehog in 1991, players traverse side-scrolling levels at high speed whilst collecting rings and defeating enemies. And Sonic introduces Sonic's sidekick, Tails, and he is controllable by a second player. It features faster gameplay, larger levels in comparison to the first game, in addition to new multiplayer game modes, and also special stages featuring pseudo-3D graphics. 
Now, Sonic has a special place in my heart due to the gaming competitions I used to enter as a teenager. Now, this must have been in the 90s sometime. You know, I remember going into the video game shop, going down into the basement where they had rows of consoles and TVs set up for competitions. We had to run Sonic 2 levels as fast as possible. So this one still holds up today and it was great to play again on Nintendo Switch. So next up at number 2 it's Super Mario 64, simply one of the best video games of all time and it plays just like the Super Mario 64 I remember. You know, I got this one as an import from Hong Kong back in the day before the internet was widely available. I still remember playing it over and over as a teenager. You know, Super Mario 64 still holds up pretty well, albeit with a few camera issues here and there. And the game is still as fun as I remember it was back in the day, so the visuals are looking crisp and there's that familiar music and that open feel to the game, which takes me right back. It's incredible to think that Nintendo made this 3D platformer and executed it so well on their first try. So the only strange thing with this one is we did recently pay for the Mario Triple Pack with Super Mario 3D All-Stars, but hey, you know, I can't hold it against Nintendo, it's simply one of the best games ever made. Well next up it's time for my top pick and there's no surprises, it's Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. So Ocarina of Time is such a special game to me. I remember taking the day off school for this one and losing myself in Hyrule. It was released in Japan and North America in November 1998 and in PAL regions in the following month. You know, Ocarina of Time is the fifth game in the Legend of Zelda series and the first with 3D graphics. So it was developed by Nintendo EAD, led by five directors, including Ig Anuma, and produced by series co-creator Shigeru Miyamoto, and written by Kensuke Tanabe. So veteran Zelda series composer Koji Konda created the musical score, and the player controls Link in Hyrule on a quest to stop the evil Ganondorf by travelling through time and navigating the dungeons in an overworld. So the game introduced features like the target lock system and the context-sensitive buttons that have since become common in 3D adventure games. And the player must learn to play numerous songs on the ocarina to progress. Well, Ocarina of Time received widespread acclaim from critics and consumers and won several awards and accolades who praised it for its visuals, sound, gameplay, soundtrack and also writing and it has been ranked by numerous publications as the greatest video game of all time and also the highest rated game of all time on Metacritic. Well that is my rundown of the best games on Nintendo Switch Online's expansion pack. You know, I know there's plenty of discourse and discussion around the price, but I think it's fine. So it's cheaper than a single game would be today, and you get nearly 20 games, plus you've got the SNES and the NES Collection 2, containing simply some of the best games ever made. To be honest, I just think it's a bargain. Well that is it for my thoughts on Nintendo Switch Online's expansion pack, but next up, talking about the expansion pack, this one is unpacking. So possibly there's a top three list of stressful things to do in life. New job, figuring out what you want to do after school or college, and moving house. Well, Unpacking tackles the final point here of moving house, and you work through moving a series of moves from the main character's point of view over a number of years from 1997 to 2018. So the game successfully manages to remove all the stress from moving and create a fun and engaging feel-good game that's simple in mechanics and takes you on a memorable journey. Well, there's something very zen about unpacking, so in real life it's a bit of a pain to be honest, but in video game form, unpacking various items and placing them in a room or home is a very cathartic experience. 
So when I was a kid, my parents liked to move house quite a lot. We only ever moved house around the same town, but we moved house approximately every five to seven years. And then I moved away to university and subsequently moved into shared houses and apartments over the next 10 years. So a new place starts to feel like home when you get your stuff out, you know, whether you're putting up your posters or photos when you're younger, or when you're older, putting art on the wall and then buying furniture, and also kitchen utensils. So unpacking manages to create that feeling of settling in really well, and provides a soothing gameplay mechanic to do so. Unpacking immediately gets you into the action, there's no complicated onboarding or explainers, you simply start to take stuff out of boxes and put them in the right place. So the gameplay mechanics are nice and simple, and essentially it's a point and click game where you move items out of boxes and put them where you want. You know, things start out in a small child's room, and then as the game develops the main character gets older and living spaces become more elaborate, so you've got more rooms like a kitchen or a bedroom or a bathroom, and you've also got more complex items too. So the items themselves tell a rich story about the main character, which is very true to life, and as you're playing I'm sure you're going to be looking around at your own stuff, wondering what kind of story that they could tell other people. There's no major time pressures on the game, meaning no countdown timers so you can move at your own pace, and that all adds up to a really relaxing experience. Unpacking moves through a series of living spaces, which roughly reflect back my own experience, so you had a child's bedroom, a university dorm, and then a shared apartment. And the items you unpack provide clues to who the person is, and items range from photos, postcards, video game consoles, and things related to hobbies. So, as well as photos, there's a camera to be found in the possessions, and this does unlock a photo mode, but it does feel like a small addition to the game, rather than a main feature of unpacking. The overwhelming sense of playing unpacking is a relaxing one, and sometimes after playing games I do leave feeling more stressed than when I went in, you know, here's looking at you PUBG, but unpacking is a relaxing experience through its zen-like placement of items accompanied by the nice music and the gentle pace of the game. So the general idea is to unpack items in the correct way, and it's the game that is going to stop you from moving on to the next level or location if you don't get them in the right place. Generally, you can unpack things anywhere, but the bathroom things should go in the bathroom, and the kitchen things should go in the kitchen, you know, that kind of thing. Unpacking is a really good, feel-good game, and it's unique. It does a great job of telling a story without going around and speaking to NPCs and other regular video game mechanics. The storytelling here is done through a process of unpacking and placing items, as well as a touching story, and it's also a cathartic activity for you to enjoy. The one thing this game does really well is it takes you on a journey, not only through houses in the game, but also on a trip down memory lane making you think about your own moves. You know, I'd not really heard of unpacking before its release, but I'm really glad I got to play through it. Well, the game is developed by Witchbeam. It's published by Humble Bundle and it's available for PC, Xbox, Nintendo Switch, iOS and also Linux. And the game was originally released on the 2nd of November 2021. Well, that is it for my review of Unpacking. Really nice, neat little game. Once again, available on Xbox Game Pass. So if you've got that service, I definitely recommend checking it out. Well, that is it for my review of Unpacking. But next up, let's look at the games coming out in the next few weeks. First of all, on November the 16th, we've got Mon Cage. That's PC, iOS and Android. And then we've got Sherlock Holmes Chapter 1. That's PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S next, Xbox One and PC. Then we also have Surviving the Aftermath. That's PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Then we've got the Smurfs, Mission Relief, Smurf-tastic edition. So that one's coming on the Xbox Series S and X, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and also the Switch. Finally, on the 16th, we've got The Wild at Heart. That's coming out on the PlayStation 4. 
Then on the 17th, we've got a couple of games. We've got Final Fantasy VII, The First Soldier. That's coming on iOS and Android. And we've got Tamarin. That's coming on the Xbox Series S and X and also the Xbox One. Then on the 18th of November, we've got a few games. We've got Blood Rain 2 revamped, PlayStation 4, Xbox One and Switch. Then we've got Epic Chef. That's coming out on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. We've got XO1 coming out on Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One, and PC. Then we've got Undungeon. That's coming out on Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One, and PC. Then we've got the big one. It's Battlefield 2042. That's coming out on the PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One, and also PC2. Then we've got Nerf Legends. That's coming out on PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Then on the 19th, we've got Pokemon Brilliant Diamond, and I will be bringing you my review of that on the next episode of the podcast. And also, of course, we've got Pokemon Shining Pearl, also coming to Nintendo Switch on November the 19th. On the 22nd, we've got Farming Simulator 22. That's coming out on all the Playstations, all the Xboxes, Switch and Google Stadia. And then finally, we've got Death's Door. That's coming out on the Playstation 5, Playstation 4, also the Nintendo Switch. That one is coming out on November the 23rd. Well, that is it for this week's episode, and if you want to get involved in the show, get in contact through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games, or check out the latest on the website. Send your questions, your comments, your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. Well, as always, thank you so much for watching or listening, and for more This Week in Video Games content like this, like, subscribe, and share with a friend. To join our community, check out the Discord link in the description, and you can follow me on Twitter at TWIVGPodcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, then liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again. I'll see you soon. 